Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Coming up next, she has literally written the book on the Skywalker family, Kristen Baver. What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? Well, who's they? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Do you have, do you have any idea what this is going to do to my credit? <laughs> oh, hang on, I got another call. Welcome to the latest episode in our Star Wars series, and this time we have Kristen Baver, who is the host of This Week in Star Wars over on YouTube, as well as content strategist and associate editor of StarWars.com, and is the author of the newly released official biography, and of course required reading for all Star Wars aficionados, Skywalker, A Family at War. Available now at bookstores, I actually get to say this, all over the galaxy. Kristen spent over a decade working as a hard news journalist, meaning she covered everything from car crashes, floods, and the drug trade, but was able to take her love of Star Wars and turn that into a career. And that is the key topic of this episode, taking a love of something, even a fandom, and finding the path to work in that arena successfully, and of course, professionally. So take some notes and enjoy our talk with Kristen Baver. I was literally a card-carrying member of the Star Wars fan club <laughs> when I was a kid. And I say that in the most literal sense because I, I, I fell in love with the movies. I think my dad probably introduced me to them because my dad introduced me to sci-fi in general. I remember being four years old and sitting with him on his recliner and we would watch Star Trek The Next Generation when it was in syndication. So we would watch that together and I was little enough that I could just kind of like squeeze myself into that chair with him and we would watch it together. And this was also, I was young enough that uh, it blew my mind when I realized that the guy from Reading Rainbow was an actor who had other jobs. <laughs> like I had no idea Lavar Lamar Burton did anything besides read me books on TV, but here he was as Geordie LaForge. And so like... It was just, it was fascinating to me to, to discover that, you know, I liked Star Trek. I was really in, interested in the stories, but also, oh, these are actors and they're playing these roles. And okay, so there's a whole aspect of it. Uh, the first convention I ever went to, I was nine years old and we went to a Star Trek convention. And I met James Doohan, who was the original Scotty on the original series. And I was nine, so I don't really remember the interaction. I remember more of like a feeling of being there and how cool it was because back in that day it was pre-internet and just discovering that there were so many people besides me and my family who liked and you know like really liked Star Trek and we're all here and some of the actors even came like this is amazing and so it was after that that I discovered Star Wars and just really fell in love with that and you know collected the action figures and you know that is the the big gateway I think with Star Wars with a lot of kids that you know, we were lucky enough to, I was lucky enough to grow up in the time when we had Star Wars on tap on, you know, on VHS where you could watch it again. You know, it wasn't just, you watched it in the theater a bunch of times and then it left. But the action figures are still just such an important part of bringing those stories into your house and allowing you to continue to, to, to think about, you know, what these characters are up to and have that creativity and have that play. And... So I, I discovered Star Wars. I really fell in love with Star Wars. I remember my parents got me a subscription to the Star Wars Insider magazine as part of a fan club, uh, official membership to the official fan club. And I signed that little membership card and I put it <laughs> well, in my wallet. Official. Uh, it's not official unless you sign it, but I put it in my wallet, and I re I can't remember which wallet it was. I wish I had that detail, but I just remember that, like, I didn't have anything else really in that wallet, like maybe, like, a $10 bill and this card, and I would carry that around, like, as if someone might ask me, like, are you really a Star Wars fan? Hang on. Here we are. Here's my membership. I got it. <laughs> For sure. I was a huge Star Wars fan. I absolutely adored Star Wars. And it was one of the things that, especially when I worked at News, was kind of my release valve. I would work in hard news all day and it would be sometimes really emotionally taxing. You know, you get some 
very serious, heart-wrenching stories. And in the in the news that I was covering, a fair amount of car accident fatalities, drug overdose deaths, uh, drug stories, prison visits, all kinds of crazy things. And the, the, the super happy fun time stuff. The super happy fun times, yeah. And so at the end of the day, one of the things that I would you know, always kind of come back to as a, a way to, to get my mind off of that was Star Wars, which is how I ended up starting to think, hey, if it's bringing me so much joy to watch Star Wars, maybe I could write about Star Wars, you know, on the side. Because I am also uh, a workaholic of, of a stripe. And <laughs> I love to be busy and I love to be writing, you know, almost every single day of life. So when I was working in journalism, you know, full-time, 40 hours a week, and I was starting to think about what else I might want to do as a writer and with my career. And so I was starting to dabble in all kinds of things, and some of it was magazine writing, and some of it was actually beauty writing for some websites, just very different types of, of writing that were quite a, a detour from what I was doing with journalism. And then I hit on being a freelancer over at StarWars.com, and that just kind of really opened a whole new world for me in terms of ways that I could use my journalism skills in entertainment writing that wasn't entertainment writing in the strictest sense. Because there's a difference between entertainment writing and what you're doing, correct? I, I believe so, yeah. Okay. And I think there's a huge difference between regular journalism or you know, general news journalism and entertainment journalism or any kind of you know, niche like that. But I also think there, there's a big difference between what I do now and what you know, someone who's writing for Variety or The Hollywood Reporter does. Because for sure, uh, you know, I work for Lucasfilm. <laughs> I am not an unbiased party coming to, to the, the table to talk about you know, the latest film or to interview people. We, we do get to interview some of the, the talent. We do get to interview some of the directors. We do get to do those types of stories that are very journalistic. But you know, at the end of the day, we're not an unbiased party because the call is coming from inside the house. Do you consider yourself in the world of PR or do you consider yourself in the world of journalism? I consider it sort of a foot in each boat because I think what we're doing on the site is primarily uh, marketing-minded journalism, I would call it, where what we're writing about is often kind of tinged with you know, the news of the latest trailer or the, the new key art or posters that were just released for the, the most upcoming film. So it has that kind of news slant to it, but also, you know, of course, we're we're making these decisions hand in hand with the, the folks who work in publicity and work in PR. But then the, on the flip side, a lot of what we're working on on the website is more reflecting the Star Wars fan community and talking to cosplayers and spotlighting fans who have amazing Star Wars tattoos, who have committed their love of Star Wars you know, into ink onto their body forever and ever. And I think that is a little bit more of the community journalism that you know, was in my background where, you know, there's no reason we need to talk to any of those folks. There's, there's no PR reason to put that information out on the website at any given time. But we feel like it's really important to celebrate that aspect of the fandom and to keep StarWars.com, especially the, the news and blog section, feeling like, you know, a reflection of the Star Wars fan community and what we all love about Star Wars and what's resonating for us and not, you know, strictly speaking, what in the you know, last 20, 30 years might have been a website that popped up specifically to give publicity to a new movie and then would disappear after the movie's, you know, home end window. It's got to be an interesting way of working if you're writing somewhat in a closed ecosystem where you have a, a massive fan base that is going to read your work when you have a large power behind you. What, what is it you're doing that is different than when you're writing for journalism, per se, or writing, writing for a newspaper? Where, where, where's your mindset uh, coming from that? I think largely my mindset is the same. I'm very aware that, you know, at the end of the day, because... I work for Lucasfilm, you know, we want you to see our movies. We want you to, you know, subscribe to Disney Plus. We want you to engage and you know, with all of the, the great storytelling that we're putting out there. But, uh, you know, when I worked in journalism, an insult, I guess, we would often get was, well, you're just trying to sell newspapers. And that wasn't really an insult to me because, yeah, we were. We wanted you to buy the newspaper because it kept us employed, because it kept us able to tell those stories. So in that way, I feel like they're kind of very similar in terms of 
there's a, a marketing aspect, a, a kind of sales aspect to both of them. But certainly as a writer on the ground, I'm not typically thinking about that in either of those jobs. You know, I'm not thinking, oh man, yeah, we got to get more Disney Plus subscribers. You know, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, what would be fun to talk about today? Let's do 10 best Obi-Wan Kenobi quotes, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and in reality, that, that's not unlike your, your, your daily newspaper where every day you got to put out oh, content sure. by the bucket sure, load. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so, especially in, in hard news, some days would be a, a just a deluge of things that you absolutely had to cover. There would be an actual flood. There would be a shooting. You know, there would be some other kind of craziness happening. There would be a school board meeting, which is less sexy than, you know, most things in journalism, <laughs> but still has to get done. You know, hard news journalism, it's, you know, it's difficult. It's important. It's, uh, it's heavy work. And when I first transitioned into my current role and, you know, I was moving from being a journalist and having being a reporter be such a big part of my identity and moving into, you know, my role as a content strategist and editor over at StarWars.com, which, you know, is lighter, you know, for the most part. We just get to talk about how much we love Star Wars every day and look at this cool new Star Wars stuff. Like, What a relief. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's not anywhere near having to knock on someone's door 12 hours after they've become a widow and ask them if they want to talk to you about the, their dead, you know, husband. So in that way... <laughs> You know, yeah, it, it is it is a lot lighter, <laughs> for sure. But when I first started, uh, we were at a company meeting, and you know, I was still, I think, grappling with that identity transition of having been a reporter for so long. I am a journalist. This is who I am. And then, you know, taking that hat off and then starting to work over at Lucasfilm, I was excited and so proud and humbled by the opportunity. But I also felt, you know, a little bit of of longing for that hard news. And we were in a meeting, and Dave Filoni uh, got up. Who if nice you may name drop? No, boom, yeah. <laughs> Dave Filoni got up to talk to us at our meeting, and you know, Dave has worked for Lucasfilm for many years. He is, you know, one of the the most recognizable people probably there because he studied literally at the knee of George Lucas as they were working on Star Wars The Clone Wars together, you know, and now he's working with John Favreau on The Mandalorian and so many other things in between. But Dave Filoni got up uh, at a meeting and he was talking about you know, what we were working on in the future. And one of the things he said was, stories are important. And I'll paraphrase him beyond that, but you know, what he was really saying was that the work that we do, even though we're not curing cancer or fighting fires or, you know, in my mind, we're not covering the big important you know, hard news that a journalist should be covering, we're doing something equally important and of value by providing the world with these stories. And I thought that was just really eye-opening because it, it made me view my job in, in a much different light, I think, from, from then forward that, you know, he's absolutely right because when I was a journalist and I was retreating kind of into that world of Star Wars and my off hours because that was an important way to kind of heal from <laughs> some of the things I was witnessing in the world and some of those secondary traumas. You know, but I needed someone, I think, to tell me that and to say, no, this work is also important. It's important in a different way. It's important for people to, to have this modern mythology, to have these stories. What's that like to be a fan and also get a paycheck that's got George Lucas's picture on it? <laughs> So it doesn't have George Lucas's picture on it, sadly. Oh, God. I know. That would be amazing. What a rip. Um, although when I was a freelancer, my, my very first paycheck had a little Mickey Mouse on it. And I thought, this is a weird life. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is done. a turn of events. <laughs> done. And done. Um, I feel so lucky getting to do what I get to do because I was a fan first. And now that Star Wars is over 40 years old, I think most of the people working on it today were fans first, you know very few people and they're they're retiring more and more now you know if they still work with ILM and Lucasfilm and they were there at the beginning you know they've they're done <laughs> they're getting they're retiring um, and so most of us who are working on it now you know, came into it by way of seeing it in the theater first you know, not as oh this is a job but I think as a fan who is then has the good fortune of doing this as a job you do have to kind of 
separate those two identities a little bit for yourself. At least I do. Um, in terms of, you know, yes, I am a fan, but you know, when I'm when I'm doing the work, I'm also thinking about you know the brand and the company, and I'm I have to separate out a little bit from what I might want as a fan, you know, versus the story that I need to tell as as an employee. It sounds quote unquote easy because you have so much to work with. For what you're doing, do you consider yourself an advocate or an evangelist for Star Wars? Oh, I think both. I am definitely an advocate for you know, the Star Wars fan community and for having that you know, great big hug that is you know, essentially the Star Wars Celebration Convention where everybody gets together and you get to see these amazing panels, you get to hear these people who you have so much respect for speak in person, you get to meet some of the, the celebrities and get an autograph or a photograph. And to me, I'm just such a, an advocate of making sure that StarWars.com reflects the best parts of that fan community and feels like that throughout you know, the year or in between those conventions. So we're always celebrating what makes the Star Wars fan community unique. And you know that is, in a large part, the fans. It's the fans that love it so much and see these stories and have them resonate so much that then they make the fan art or they make the, the cosplay costumes or they build these insanely detailed, beautiful, one-for-one -one replicas of some of the creatures that we have in the movies and then figure out where to store them in their garage uh, <laughs> and take them to the convention. And then take it home. Yeah, you have to find a place for it. Uh, I don't think any of those live in tiny apartments in New York or San Francisco, probably. But I'm also, I think, an evangelist because one of the things that I love about my job is that we're always trying to to get people who don't love Star Wars to be intrigued by it. You know, I, I always think of that as part of my job of trying to get the people who think, ah, I don't know if Star Wars is for me, to look at it with fresh eyes and maybe find the corner of it that is for them. Because I think Star Wars is for everyone. I think at the very at the base level, because it is the, a modern mythology and it reflects all these themes and archetypes that are you know, universal and so classic and timeless that there is a Star Wars for everyone. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, that's that kind of, you know, that's a lovely segue into our next segment of questions. Uh, thank you for making me sound like I know what I'm doing. I try. <laughs> Please keep trying. <laughs> but you know, your job, and I really want to talk about this as the job because, you know, that you could have a job doing this. For a lot of young people, it's like, how do I get a job doing something I love? And for a lot of us who are older, like, how do I get a job doing something I love? You've done. <laughs> um, you, you write and you host and you're the voice of StarWars.com. One of them. And one, one of the of, okay. one, of the, one of the many voices of StarWars.com. But how does that happen? How do you take on the job of being one of the many faces of, of Star Wars? So it is a tremendous amount of luck and good timing that, that goes into it, for sure. I always feel like I just you know, knocked on the right door at the right time and got very, very lucky in, in terms of my career trajectory. Uh, but of course, I also am aware that a lot of it is you know, what I was able to bring to the table, which you know, was that journalism background, was that knowledge of how to not only tell a story that was hopefully compelling, right from the first sentence, but also how to interview anybody. One of the big things that working in hard news taught me was how to be able to approach almost anyone, except for the people who really don't want to be approached and will slam a door in your face. You can approach them still, but they're not going to tell you anything. Um, yeah, so I think just having that ability and that practice of being able to talk to anybody you know, was a huge boon for me then coming into this job because it would be very easy to become starstruck by some of the folks that we get to talk to. And I can't remember who told me this very early on, but one of my first gigs for StarWars.com, probably about six months into me writing for the site, was Star Wars Celebration Orlando in Orlando, Florida. And it was the first time I was really meeting a lot of the people who I had you know, worked with from afar as a freelancer in person. And so I can't remember who told me this great piece of wisdom, but I just, I love this idea. Um, 
Because it was the 40th anniversary of Star Wars A New Hope. And so there was a, one, the very first panel I went to at this convention, George Lucas showed up as a surprise. John oh, Williams wow. showed up as a surprise. Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill were there. Like everyone you could possibly want to see talking at the convention. The whole Hall of Fame walked in. Was there, yeah. And either, you know, sometime around, you know, that amazing panel, um, but I think maybe even before it, someone had said to me, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be interviewing anybody, any talent at this particular event because they're really busy. They have the video line that they have to go through. They have a bunch of other interviews that they're doing. They have panels, they have signings, all that. So you're probably not going to run into this. But if you happen to see any of them, just remember, they are your coworker. Ah, like they're, don't get. Don't get starstruck. It's just your coworker. And so from then on, I always think of like Harrison Ford is just my coworker who I haven't met yet, who happens to work in a slightly different department. But if you see him at it, like in the company kitchen, just be cool because you're just coworkers. It's see, fine. if we if this was actually like face to face and we were like in in a studio, I'd ask you to whip out your phone and just show me your contacts and what, <laughs> and what Harrison Ford's secret identity is. Right. You know, right. where it's like Blairson Chevy or something like that. You know, because uh, 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 you know no one would ever guess that. I'd put him in, a, in my phone as Doctor Jones for the record. <laughs> like if I had Harrison Ford's phone number, that's exactly what he would be filed under. But but that's an interesting way of of looking at it because this is a job and and you know, that they are your, your coworkers as a job. What is it that, you know, you as a writer and a content creator have to really focus on when you're, it's your job to present something that has rules and laws and things you must follow. So I think first and foremost, uh, I'm always thinking about trying to be respectful to, you know, what has come before me, but also to to Star Wars as an entity because it is something that means so much to so many people. We tend to do a lot of news coverage just on new things that are coming out, which makes sense because they're new. It's news. Um, so oh, we get, oh, I see what that's you what did it means. there. What? Um, mind blown. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. That's going to make the clip. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Now I lost the, now uh, I lost the question. We were trying to we say something talking. intelligent about mm. uh, uh, doing something. Uh, well, you know, writing with, you know, writing as a job. Uh, yeah. So, no, we definitely have a style guide. We definitely have some rules and regulations. A big one for the longest time was we can never say the words baby Yoda in terms of meaning <laughs> baby Yoda on the website the, you know, this phrase shall never pass onto starwars.com. Um, and it was a, a name that the fans had really given to the child now known as Grogu in the Mandalorian. But it was funny because for the longest time, everyone and their mother you know, probably including my own mother, was calling this puppet, this character, Baby Yoda. And every time we would write about it on the site, I would have to find a creative way to make the child not sound weird because I just wanted to call him Baby Yoda <laughs> because in my head, that's what he was. If the powers that be had allowed it, I might have tried to work that into several articles. Um, but yeah, so sometimes... You know, and, and I don't know, I guess I wouldn't say it, it's hard. It's definitely not hard work. We work hard. It's not hard work, though. And it, you, there, there's interesting nuance to things like that because we are the official resource. And if it happens on StarWars.com, it becomes canonized in a way, especially uh, there's a section of our site that I work on a lot called Databank. And it is, you know, a, a small cross-section of kind of encyclopedic knowledge of certain characters and locations and ships and you know all of this minutiae and if it's on starwars.com on the databank you you have to be sure that it's correct we had talked about that earlier and i, I had written a note about that it, it must be a real journalistic task when you have what you are reporting on what you have knowledge on what you what you representing the company knows, and then massive amounts of fan literature and fan fiction, and no, that that yeah, that that thing really did happen in Star Wars, and you're like, no, that never happened in Star Wars. Well, how how do you figure confusing. that out? <laughs> well, to make it even more confusing, for a, a many years there was 
there were Star Wars books. And then after the Disney acquisition, you know, the decision was made that now those books are all legend stories and everything that comes after it is now canon. So just wrapping your head around that of like these stories that we think are part of it. And, I, and oftentimes I just have to double check myself to make sure that the thing that I'm remembering is real and you know, not, <laughs> not part of my own head canon, you know, not something I read on the internet, but is in fact the canonical truth of the matter you know, when it comes to these characters and, and these fictions. And it is really, it's quite a, quite a departure from hard news journalism. Uh, especially when you know, you're getting into things like you know, you're trying to find out these details about an alien that doesn't really exist. <laughs> so like, I need to know how tall Chewbacca is, but it's not like there's any kind of public record resource that I can go to that's like, here's all the Wookiee heights for you. You know, so just knowing... Is he a regional Wookiee? Is he a right? Southern Hemisphere Wookiee? What kind of Shriwook does he speak? Is that a dialect? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have is the answer Is it just shampoo that. or is it conditioner and shampoo? Is he right? leaning in? Okay, actually, we did cover his some of his, uh, his hair products in one of our books. And it is one of the, the greatest things to me that there's a whole sequence where Chewbacca... I think it's in the Solo a Star Wars Story novelization, but there's a whole sequence where Chewbacca borrows products from Lando Calrissian. And I was like, of course Lando, of, well, Lando of course. Calrissian has amazing product. And, you know, Chewbacca's got to get all those tangles out. And I was like, this is, these are things that I wondered about, you know, as a child. So I'm a, I really appreciate that now authors are tackling that and trying to give us some answers. Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Well, then that, that leads to my other question, which is a very legitimate question, and it's going to sound silly, but what have you learned on this job that you did not learn going to J school? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> and I, and I preface that with, you know, that everybody, when, no matter what you've studied, the first day on your first job is where your education begins. A hundred percent. So I think a big part of my education with that began before I started at StarWars.com, but when I was working at a newspaper, but out of college, because I studied professional writing and, you know, with a focus on journalism, but I could have gone so many different directions with that degree. I could have gone to, to PR, I could have gone to, you know, business writing, I could have done technical writing. There were a lot of different potential outlets that were in that course curriculum. And I really just fell in love with journalism in college. I actually started out as an arts and entertainment editor for our college newspaper. And well, I guess I started out as a writer first and then became the editor and then eventually worked my way up to editor in chief, which I thought was just the most amazing job ever. And it was, it was a really fun job. We had a weekly newspaper. Um, you know, it felt really important. It made me, you know, believe in aspects of, you know, that type of, of work that I hadn't really thought of or experienced just through the course curriculum. Is that and like because think, you're, you're seeing how the sausage is made or is that a, because, just a way of looking at, at the written word differently? I think it was just maybe surprising to me how, how emotionally invested I got in my subjects as a writer and as a journalist that, you know, it wasn't as simple as you know, what you see in Journalism 101 of you know, find the who, what, where, when, why. Uh, that was certainly an aspect of it and you needed to have those things present, but my very first uh, managing editor who I worked for at a college, um, you was, he was an amazing mentor and he taught me a lot just about writing that I thought I knew coming out of college, but I did not know because, you know, also there's an element of when you're, or for me at least, when I was younger and I was writing these stories and even writing the the stories for the, the college newspaper, I just kind of felt like people are going to pick it up and they're going to read this. They're going to read this the whole way through. That is not true. There's so many distractions and other things pulling for your attention. So you have to make sure that what you're writing is clear and concise. It can still be, you know, fairly 
fairly long, but you know, it has to just have the right amount of words for the story that you're trying to tell. And it has to be told in a way that is enticing to people or they're going to put it down and move on to the next thing. And I feel like that was a really important lesson that I learned in the first couple of you know, weeks on the job that I didn't know or understand when I was in college, you know, that just because I wrote it, people wouldn't necessarily read it. <laughs> it's especially printed, the whole way has to through. read it. <laughs> I know, it was like, what? But I wrote it, you're gonna read it. And so just having that, and, and I guess it, it was kind of constructive criticism of a stripe because certainly that editor, his name was Dean Kashner. He's probably not listening to this, but I'm gonna name drop him anyway. I love Dean. Dean was great. He was, he was kind about his edits, but he was also very blunt. And I feel like that's a great trait to have in an editor because, you know, he would say, okay, you, you have this, the beginnings of a good story, but you know, it's Everyone's upside down. Criticism. You know, yeah, Everyone's you've written it. Criticism. That's a good start. Come back in another week sure, with something yeah, the, I can the read. The idea is good. The idea is here. You know, and the first couple times, I think he, he ripped up what I had written, moved all the pieces around, rewrote the, the top, the lead, and then handed it back and said, okay, but how about this? And then I would be like, oh yeah, well, that is a lot better. Okay, yeah, I want to read this story now. And one of the things that he taught me that I guess I didn't learn in, in J school was you don't write out of your head, you write out of the information that you're given. And that's still true for the work that I'm doing for StarWars.com and the, you know, any kind of writing that I do. I think when you're younger, again, <laughs> at least when I was younger, um, you know, I thought just the, the story would just like come to me and, you know, it would just like birth itself onto the page and I would barely have to do anything to help it along. Like, you know, you sit down at your keyboard and you're like, what should the first sentence be? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay. Let's start with a question. You know, that is like one of the big things a lot of young writers do, like every story. Let's start with my personal experience so that I'm at the top yes. of the story so you understand I that important. I wrote it. Yes, yeah. Um, so, you know, shedding some of that ego, shedding some of that idea that, you know, everything that comes from your fingertips flows forth and is gold. And really getting into that nitty gritty of, okay, but what are the facts? What do we actually have to work with? And what can we build from, from there? Um, and one of the great things that the editor taught me was also taking that information and you know trying to put a picture in the head of the person who's reading this you know tell me a story in a way that i can picture exactly what you're seeing with your eyes and you be the conduit in that way not as a you know i have this idea and here it is you know coming forth through my keyboard but you know especially when you're a reporter you're the boots on the ground you are witnessing you know these news making events now tell it to me in a way that is interesting and tell it to me in a way that makes me feel like I'm there, that I'm in your shoes, that I'm witnessing it. But that makes sense because, I mean, if you are talking about, you know, even something like, you know, we, we keep harping on this thing. It's Star Wars. It's a fictional world. It's still a world that exists. It is still something that this is an entity. This is a, a thing you're working with. So that, that's great way of looking at it so that that makes a whole lot of sense well and similarly to you know what i was saying before about those writing pitfalls when you're a young journalist you see some of the same things in terms of like star wars has those quotable quotes that everybody knows and it's really easy or sometimes really alluring to want to start a story with these are the droids you're looking for you know, or something similar. You really want to make that the lead or the headline. There's so many. I've, I've, been, I've been sitting on my hands trying to keep myself calm from dropping any of those. <laughs> you can use them all. You can use them all here. But, you know, A, you don't want to do that in every single story on StarWars.com because your audience also has been quoting those quotes. So you need to use them sparingly. But also, it gets really boring if every single article has some kind of cute little quote, not winking a nod in it. Uh, you know, so you want to get creative and try and go beyond some of those, you know, I think kind of easier ways of getting into the story and, you know, getting people, if not interested, at least, you know, showing, yeah, 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 no, this is a Star Wars story. Here you go. Here's, here's a joke, but that, right off the bat. Right, right, but that, that makes sense. I mean, that, that also kind of, I think, sets it up, you know, you, you know that, that respect idea where, you know, where this isn't fun and games. This really is, you know, a quality brand, which mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that, 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 makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Yeah, and I think it's a little, we, I'm sorry, I keep, I feel like I keep cutting you off just as you're about to ask a great question. Um, <laughs> sure, it, okay, we'll say that. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, that's, you, you exactly. keep cutting me off and I keep forgetting yeah, it, hurt, it hurts, um, it hurts. Oh, so sad, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think there's also kind of a dichotomy between, you know, I take Star Wars seriously, but Star Wars is not a serious beast, if that makes sense in terms of, you know, I respect it and respect its importance and, you know, the longevity and the resonance. But, you know, there's a lot of jokes inside of Star Wars storytelling. You know, there there's a lot of, you know, levity. And yeah, I think that's also important to, to remember when we're writing about Star Wars and when we're reflecting that community that we should be respectful of it, but also it's okay to have fun with it. Sure, it's sure. But, I, yeah, but <laughs> you, know? It, it, you know, as you're saying this, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm thinking. It's like, yeah, you know, if you are looking, you know, getting aside from enjoying what you do and getting and getting aside from I like what I do. Um, for a lot of people, when you just start out, you know, and you're working, it's like, well, if you don't like what you're working for, you still have to be respectful of it. You still have to look at it and go, well, I've been hired to evangelize something. What are some some skills you can give out that are, that will uh, help people? I mean, I cannot stress enough how much my time in journalism shaped the kind of writer I am, but also made me a much better writer than I was when I started out. Journalism is not the right path for everyone, but I think for students coming into it, take that first year out of college and just learn absolutely as much as you can, but also try to come into it with an awareness that you do not know everything. And you do not know a lot of things. And there's a lot to learn, which is something that the older I get and the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. And I know that's, you know, you're, you're smiling because I think, you know, you know. Um, but it's really easy, or it was for me at least, when I was just coming out of college to think, I have been writing for half of my life. I am good at writing. I know how to write. And I could write a sentence, sure. But so just having a willingness and an openness, I think, to, to recognize what I didn't know and also a recognition that you don't have to know everything. And maybe that's the, the best gift that journalism actually gave to me was so often I would you know, plunk down into a story or, you know, a scenario and I wouldn't know anything and I wouldn't know where to get the information and I wouldn't know who to talk to and I wouldn't know anything about the topic. And you would just start asking questions and asking around and doing the research and finding that information out because I knew I had to be the person who was going to explain it to people at the end of the day in a way that was succinct and made sense to them. So I had to understand it thoroughly and wrap my head around it if I hoped to deliver that kind of story that would be meaningful and would be clear. And so those skills still come into play in every kind of writing I do. It comes into play at the site. I just recently wrote a book, uh, my first book ever, which is a biography of the Skywalker family. And it, it actually came into play there too because I know Star Wars very well, but I still don't see myself as a Star Wars expert. I see myself as a student of Star Wars and when I sat down to write that book, I thought, I have seen all of the movies many, many times, but I need to rewatch them all over again, and I need to take notes because this time I'm looking specifically for the biographical elements. I'm looking specifically for how these, this set of characters was feeling in these different moments. I'm looking for nuance. I'm looking for details that maybe I didn't see in the past. Because every time I watch a Star Wars movie, I see something in the background at least that I've never noticed before. And so just have, trying to come to it with fresh eyes um, was very reminiscent to me of being a journalist and coming into something, and even if I kind of knew some information about the topic at hand, trying to kind of dial it all the way back down to zero and say, okay, if I am completely coming at this fresh, because your reader might be completely coming at this fresh and know nothing, how do I explain it and build it from the ground up? Well, I know, I know our, we're, we're kind of short on time, but this that that's something I wish I would have asked you earlier, but... I can talk longer, okay. too. Okay, okay, that's to. fine. Because I know I, you're going to dial it no, back no, no, to like 45 minutes. And I no, no, we're going to go, we're gonna go seven parts. We'll go seven parts. Seven I parts. I think okay, this go is seven. a whole series. But how, how do you write a biography for fictional characters? Right? 
And how do you not just go, <laughs> I know the better story here and I'm just going to put it in. Were you interviewing the actors to get their take on things or? Nope. Uh, nope. Because it is a biography of the fictional characters, you're really just relying on the storytelling that already exists showing these characters and the books that are already out there. And you're, you're essentially kind of taking all of the events that are in the movies, are in the animation, are in the books, are in the comics, you know, are in some of the video games. So you're taking, you're taking all of this content and you're trying to boil it down into a biography. And I watched a lot of The Crown. And then I, I read some biographies and I read some Joseph Campbell and I read some Carl Jung. Because that was what George Lucas was reading when he was starting to, to write Star Wars at the very beginning. One of the, the big things I learned was just how smart George Lucas is and was when he was writing this in incorporating all of these archetypes, but not always in the way that I had seen them in the past. You know, which is to say that a lot of his characters embody several different archetypes at different times because they are, you know, living, breathing, growing, evolving characters. I just tried to treat these fictional characters like they were real people and tried to give them compassion and tried to tell their story as pretty much as if I were a journalist who knocked on their door and said, hey, here your family's pretty important. Can you tell me about them? And, you know, and then tried to lay out that story. Is Luke in? <laughs> is, Luke, can, is he Atashi Station again? <laughs> but that, I mean, that's got to be fascinating. What, I mean, what were some of the pitfalls that you ran into with that? So I think for the book as well as for the content that we create for the site, one of the challenges is always is remembering that just like with the newspaper, the person who picks this up, this might be the first time they're seeing anything about this. So you have to be able to speak to a person who's just, you know, just taking their first steps into the larger world of Star Wars. There's a quote too. I don't know if you caught it. Some people will. Uh, but you know, those people who are just at the beginning of this journey and they're, they're starting to learn more about it and your article might be the first thing that pops up for them as they're trying to get more information about Star Wars on StarWars.com. So you're trying to keep that kind of in in focus, as well as delivering something that's meaningful to the people who've read every single thing that's been on that site for more than 20 years now. So it's really hard to balance, you know, all of all of that, you know, fandom in one. But I think one of the biggest challenges for me was coming at it from being a fan and loving it. And, you know, I remember being on the school bus and having like trivia contests with some of my friends because we were deeply nerdy. And, you know, we would memorize things and they'd be like, what planet was Yoda on in The Empire Strikes Back? You know, things like that. And, you know, so when I'm writing, whether I'm writing a biography or whether I'm writing an article, I always kind of have to keep in mind that some of the readers are going to be those kinds of people who also had those trivia contests with their friends or might be having trivia contests with their friends right now. And some people are just going to pick this up and go, well, that's a cool name. Let's read about this. And, you know, maybe they've seen a Star Wars, <laughs> maybe they've only seen one, maybe they've seen zero. And so to explain it, you know, in a way that is, you know, ground up, gives you enough information if you don't have any, of, if you don't have any preconceptions or information coming in, but also gives you enough insight and, you know, new information if you've read everything and trying to, to balance both of those worlds. You had mentioned that, you know, you get to go and meet or, or see your co-workers as Harrison Ford and, and all yeah. those people. Yes. I got to interview George Lucas and Mark Hamill. And it was so bizarre and wonderful to get to talk to them, but also such a challenge to try and find a way to ask them questions they hadn't been asked a billion times over. Fortunately, because of my job and my you know, fandom before that, I feel like I have a good base of knowledge of Star Wars coming into it. Uh, but you're know, reading a lot of older interviews, watching videos of interviews, and you're know, trying to decipher what kinds of questions your interview subject kind of lights up from, what kind of questions maybe they shut down when you ask them. 
trying to find, uh, you know, maybe, and I think, Bobby, you've had this experience with me today where uh, maybe they started answering a question and then the interviewer moved on to something else and you just kind of felt like maybe they had some more to say about that, but the, you know, the interviewer, uh, you know, cut it off or start, took them in a different direction and, you know, maybe they, they came away from it. Or asking them essentially a follow-up question from another interview to get more information about something. You know, so I think doing all of that, especially when you're interviewing someone who's been interviewed so many times before, but also trying to look at the story from a, a different angle. So for, for Mark Hamill, when I was preparing for that interview, it really struck me how physically demanding his role was in The Empire Strikes Back in comparison to the role that he played, you know, same character, but in A New Hope. And... So I, in my research, I also you know came across a lot of information about the the training he was doing and you know just how much physicality he had to bring to that role for that second film in the original trilogy of the trifecta of trilogies, and so we were able to essentially you know shape the questions and then shape the story around you know trying to kind of go teleport back forty years and talk to him about all of the the crazy things that he had to do as a performer to physically embody this role and you know swinging on vines with a green puppet on your back <laughs> in a backpack and hanging out in you know Oslo Norway in the snow when it's bitterly cold and they had such a snowstorm that they could only film a couple feet away from the hotel essentially so a lot of these scenes is just like you swing the camera around and you would have seen their hotel but they swung it the right way and they're you know he's laying in the snow face down so just you know all this craziness all the fencing experience that he had to to get to be able to to duel with the lightsaber so i think just looking at it from that perspective to me made it a little bit fresher of a story and then when we got the chance to talk to to george lucas um you know, it was talking to him a lot about what a gamble The Empire Strikes Back was. There's been a tremendous, you know, hours and hours of interviews done on it. So, you know, what can you add to this? And, you know, I looked at what StarWars.com had done in terms of coverage with George Lucas in the past, for sure, because you definitely don't want to replicate something that we already have on the website from five years prior. But I also looked at, I, I guess, trying to put myself back 40 years at before you know that this is going to be, among many fans, regarded as the best of the, of the original trilogy. And, and by many fans, I mean you and me, Bobby. Uh, but before you know that it's successful, you know, what, what does that look like? What are the challenges? What are some of the, the pitfalls? And you know, in the research, then I discovered that or was reminded, I guess, that you know George Lucas was financing this. And yes, A New Hope had been tremendously successful, but that didn't necessarily mean there was an appetite for a second film or you know many films after that. And he took an immense chance. Yeah, it could definitely go but it, sideways really fast. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the questions I asked George Lucas, and I don't know if he'd ever been asked this before, but I had certainly never seen None of what I'd read about it uh, had talked about this aspect of it, but I, you know, I, I knew from the, the get-go I wanted to ask him when he knew that that worked because I knew that there was no way from the very beginning that he had that knowledge. You know, and I think now we can all agree that Yoda definitely works. But you know, trying to go back in time to when they were creating this movie and thinking through... You know, okay, first of all, you have to make sure you've got to sculpt this Muppet in just the right way so it carries that, you know, gravitas because you're going to give it some of the most important philosophical lines in this entire movie. <laughs> and then you got to have the right actor behind it who's going to imbue it with this feeling that, you know, when you're looking at Yoda, you're never thinking, oh, yeah, Yoda's a Muppet. You know, you're at least I never remember that. I think one of the fears I had coming into working on something I love so much was whether or not it would like lose some of that shine. You know, I, which I think is a question I've gotten from students in the past uh, when I do talk to to college classes, especially of you know, does it does it make you love it less because now you're not only are you seeing how it's made. 
but you're also just kind of like bathing in it at 40 hours a week. <laughs> and, you know, it's no longer the escape from that day-to-day -day grind. It is the day-to-day -day grind. But I think it's fascinating that for me, at least, it's only made me enjoy it more and kind of enriched that affinity for it. Because now I know some of the people who work so hard to, to create what we're creating now. And I see everything that goes into making the simplest t-shirt design to the films, which are just a, an amazing feat of technology and cast and crew and talent and you know directors and producers and you know just everybody coming together to create that singular vision. So it hasn't dampened my love for it at all. When you're transitioning into the into the world of television and, and, and visual media, you know, what were some of your experiences on like, you know, the hard stuff that seems so easy, but it's really complicated, like red carpets and things like that. You know, what was that like? Yeah. So I had never been to a red carpet event, surprising, uh, it, as my, during my time as a hard news journalist. And a month into me working at Lucasfilm, we released Solo, A Star Wars Story. And I had the chance to go down to the red carpet and cover it for StarWars.com and talk to uh, the fans that were lining that red carpet for the event. And that was such a weird, it, it was such a weird experience, but also I, I think kind of a moment of when you look back at your career, but even when you're in that moment, you're thinking, oh, I, I have made it. This is, this is the stuff. <laughs> All you know, these flashes uh, are for me. It's, Sure, sure. Uh, so the the funny thing about covering a red carpet is you have to blend, you have to blend in well enough that it looks like you belong on the red carpet in some way, shape, or form. So like you have to have a fancy fancy dress, you know, nice suit, whatever. Um, but no one is looking at you. No one cares that you are there. So you also don't have to be wearing like. Oscar de la Renta, it's fine <laughs> if you just picked up something from you know the fancy section at a department store. It's okay. It's okay if it's just a black dress. A black dress will do. It's just you can't be like walking around in, in jeans. Um, you know, just came from from work and just you know waltzed in there. Rot, rot, where's, where's, the, where's the evening gown section here at Ross? <laughs> right. Yes, I need that. I, a caveat though, unless you are George Lucas and then you can wear whatever you want to a Star Wars premiere, whatever you want. No one's going to judge it. No one's going to ask you anything. Everyone is looking at you. It's fine. Um, yeah. So my first month in, I was on a red carpet covering things and uh, George Lucas walked by me and I don't get starstruck and I, I don't think I... I looked maybe, I hope I didn't, didn't look particularly starstruck in that moment, but I remember distinctly thinking like, control your face, control your face, control your face. It's just a coworker. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. He's the whole reason you have a job, but it's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're just going to move off to the side. Um, well, and then later that night, I got to see the movie in a theater where, you know, I was up in the, the balcony area, but, uh, you know, George Lucas and his guests and Ron Howard, the director and his guests and the actors were all sitting and I could like see them from the balcony. And I remember thinking to myself like, I'm gonna watch a movie with George Lucas and Ron Howard right now. That's what my job is. That's how my life has gone. <laughs> so there you have it. What a career looks like in something you actually love doing. Kristen, who really had some great advice there, and please do head out to your local bookstore and pick up a copy of Skywalker, A Family at War. It's really a fun read, and it's still really hard for me to, to get my head around how Kristen actually has the job of creating a biography for a fictional character. And this is the dream of so many creatives is to create their own world. And as more and more art and design career opportunities arise, employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get the work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request information about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, filmmaking, game development, and more, visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creative Mind.